Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan, and we also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you have any questions while you're either listening to our banter back and forth, which is very deep and theological and incredible, by the so, way. Yeah, it's just incredible uh, banter. <laughs> uh, if you have questions, listen to us, or as you're reading through the Bible uh, in the plan, or just outside the plan even, even if you read something in, in Scripture and just kind of like, what on earth is going on there? We would love to take time as much as we can to answer any of those questions. Uh, and I guess it even extends to uh, extra biblical conversations, too. I mean, we had a question about Halloween last week that we took time to answer. Uh, so we would love to answer questions that you may have. Uh, and you can send those questions into us two ways. One is an email. The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Or the second way is to direct message us on Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, and you can DM us there as well. All right. Well, this week we are getting into one of the happiest. We're done with Jeremiah. That's true. So, well, kind of. We are no, getting we're, into- we're done with the book of Jeremiah, okay? No more, no more lamenting, no more sadness, no more sorrow. Oh, Absolutely. Just kidding. Let's get into Lamentations. This week. Yeah, this, so this week we're, it's kind of, you know, we're, we're mixing it. We're doing two whole books this week. So we're not, you know, we're not just doing a section of Game a book. On. We're going to be in Lamentations. We're going to have some Psalms. And then we're going to have a Song of Solomon at the end, which fair warning, um, I'll, I'll remind you about this later when we get there. But if you are listening with kids, uh, we're just, 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 pause yeah, just at that point. Just, yeah, don't worry about Song of Solomon because we're just going to like, we're not going to really beat around yeah. the bush there. And we're going to be above board. We're going to keep it appropriate, but there's still references and conversations that have to right. happen in the book of Song of Solomon. So we understand the book. So, But before we get there, let's talk about lamentations. Let's I, lament for a bit. I told Aaron, I don't know why. I, I don't know why this is my head. I always think lamentations is longer than it is. I, for, and for whatever reason, 16 chapters is the number <laughs> that I have. And so I, and every year it happens. Every year I go to read Lamentations. I'm like, oh, it's only five chapters. This is great. And again, this year I opened it up. I was putting in the reading plan. And then I was like, oh, I wonder why we're stopping at chapter five. And then I looked at it. I was like, oh, because there's only five. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is about this book that makes me think it should be longer. Well, but. it's because it's lamenting. Have you ever been with someone who just laments all day Long. Oh man! It just feels like it's sixteen days. Apparently, so. I guess it's because it's sandwiched in the middle of like know. the major prophets, and so is Daniel. That's true. It's fair. Is Daniel sixteen chapters? Daniel? No, I want to say it's. I think I want to say it's like twelve to fifteen. Twelve to fifteen. I don't know. I just remember trying to break it out. Like it was half, so it was like I think it's twelve chapters. I know Romans is sixteen, so like maybe I just have Ro- who knows. Anyways, Romans sixteen. No, I'm just kidding. One sixteen. That's yeah, a good I'm pretty one. sure it's twelve. Now I'm curious. So. Oh, Aaron's gonna look it up really quick. This is great. Yeah, podcast. twelve chapters. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I did it. I broke down one through six was the narrative. Seven through twelve was all the prophecy. Yeah. Here's here's the deal, listeners. Hey, I remembered something. Just don't listen to anything that I say. <laughs> that's the that's the key takeaway. And he's here. like, on that note, let's talk about limitations. All right, now listen to me here. So limitations is a book containing five laments over the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, while it's technically anonymous, almost all tradition attributes it to Jeremiah. Um, and then if it wasn't Jeremiah, it almost certainly is someone who saw the destruction of Jerusalem yeah. firsthand. Uh, and the reason for that is the book, I mean, you, you'll get it as we read. The book is full of just like the emotion. So uh, the emotion of someone who, who saw this happen, it's very, it very much reads not as like um, you know, a Josephus who's writing about it, like, you know, for ho- however long after mm-hmm. uh, it was, it's reading as someone who's writing in the moment. And then also there's no mention of a return. There's no mention of the people coming back. It's it's just 
lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, and which is kind of this, you know, it's the same thing with Kings and Chronicles, where Chronicles actually mentions people coming back, so we can say, okay, well, this was written after that. Kings mm-hmm. kind of just leaves it on this hopeless note, and that's where that's where the people of Israel were for a long time. is is pretty pretty hopeless. We'll get into Ezekiel and Daniel, where we actually see some prophets at work in the midst of the exile, but. Um, but for the most part, it, it's a very dark time in Israel's history. So the first lament mourns over the fallen state of Jerusalem, and the analogy is used of a widow who is crying over her lost husband, uh, which is kind of interesting because usually in in these analogies, um, the the widow or the bride is the uh, – I guess it's kind of the same thing, I suppose. The widow or the bride is the people of Israel. But remember how in Hosea specifically, which we're going to get into here in a few weeks, um, and then there's a few other books as well. In Jeremiah, it happened in there as well where the, the, the analogy used is a bride being unfaithful to her husband. That's what Israel is to God. Now Israel is a widow who has lost her husband. And I guess in my head, I was thinking of it in the opposite direction where like it's God mourning over the loss of Jerusalem, but no, yeah, it's actually, nope. it's, it's Jerusalem mourning over their lost relationship with God. So it, obviously here, God's not dead, but you know, we don't need to belabor the analogy too much. He is alive. Uh, yeah. And, and so here's the, you can, you can definitely feel the pain yeah. of the authors. This is the first few verses of Lamentations. It says, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So sad. Yeah, it's, it's. It is a huge bummer. I I also think that Lamentations is important because Jeremiah doesn't shy away from why this happened. And so this is a few verses later, but it says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you people and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. And so right there, what do you see? You see acknowledgement that this is deserved. Like the reason yeah. this is happening is because the people of Israel have um, have neglected have neglected God. They've broken covenant. They've worshipped other gods, but they're still mourning over the pain of what it is. So it's 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 important, um, and that kind of brings me to the next lament. The second lament focuses on the ferocity of Yahweh's judgment. Um, and again, remember that no one is arguing this was undeserved, but but imagine for a moment being those people. Like imagine for, for years you've trusted that God will protect Jerusalem, that whatever else, this is the old the old covenant is built on this idea that the the people of Israel have their land, it's their place, God will protect them. And then all of a sudden it's not just that you know, an empire comes in and they're like, hey, we're taking over now. And now they're ruled over by it. It, it was, it was brutal. It was yeah. very, it was very, very hard. Um, and you, you get a look at what it was like to actually live through these things. And so, and, and, and it's, it's an incredibly traumatic thing for these people to have seen. So here's this, it's a taste of the second lament. It says, he has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe, and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughters of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of its palaces, and he has laid ruins to its stronghold, and he has multiplied in the daughters of Judah, mourning and lamentation." And it reminds me of there's obviously this will come as no surprise, but there's a section of Job where he talks about how um, 
it feels like God is his enemy. And he talks about how it's like, it, he, he compares it to being shot by arrows, like a friend turning around and shooting you with arrows. Um, and all of a sudden you get this, almost the same analogy, right? He bent his bow like an enemy. And so here is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this God that the people have at least nominally trusted in. Um, and now their relationship has changed because God has allowed this to happen. Not even allowed. I mean, he, he straight up says, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Like he, he has ordained this yeah. to happen. And the destruction of Israel was exceptionally, it was exceptionally brutal. I shouldn't say the Israel, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, it, because it was a siege, right? And so it wasn't just like a battle that happened. It was, I, I think it was a year and a half, two years before Jerusalem actually fell. And ancient sieges, the way they worked is you surrounded a city, you didn't let anyone out and you essentially starved them out. Yeah. And so like there's speculation that people may have resorted to cannibalism, which is very, very common in those situations. There's no, this, this isn't a city that's on like the ocean where you can maybe try and smuggle things out or whatever it is. Like it, this, this is it. Like you are on a, your city on a hill. Um, the people can absolutely prevent anyone getting out and the and the people of Jerusalem just kind of slowly starved away while it was happening until eventually the Babylonians broke in, which we read about in Jeremiah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's it's really sad. Um the third lament is this one's this one's the high point of Lamentations. <laughs> Uh, it's in first person, which I think is really fun. I love first person sections of the Bible. I think they're really interesting and they kind of give you an even, uh, I don't know, an even better picture of the author themselves. You get a yeah, little bit more of their true. personality. Uh, but it focuses on the hope of Yahweh, even in the midst of darkness. Um, I will say this one annoys me, uh, not because of anything the biblical author did, but because whoever decided on the verse structure decided to make every two lines of verse instead of every stanza. So again... <laughs> This isn't something, this is maybe something you didn't notice, or maybe you now, when you're reading it, it's going to ruin it for you. But like the first two laments, a verse is a stanza. So a verse is like four six to four to six lines. Uh, and then in, for whatever, the third lament is the only one that's like this, is it's just like, oh yeah, basically every line's a verse. It's like, why, why, why not just have some consistent, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, anyway, just pick a lane, <laughs> biblical, biblical verse makers. Um, but for real, the, the, the third lament is a much needed break from the sadness. Yeah. It's a reminder for all of the Jews living through this time that God's not abandoned them. And so I wanted to just read a, por a portion of this. So this is starting in verse 22. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him and to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there, yet there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he has caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or to grieve or grieve the children of men. So it's, I, I love the last line for he does not afflict mm -hmm. from his heart. And the idea there is just God isn't doing this because he's like, he hates the Israelites. He's not doing this because you know he's, he's sadistic and yeah. he enjoys hurting them. He's, he's doing it because they broke his covenant. It's yeah. justice. Well, and that's the thing, right? It's not an emotional response. And, and I think that's the big thing. Like when, 
When scripture uses the word heart, oftentimes it's talking about the center of one's being, but out of the center of one's being comes the emotions, comes the the feelings that we live and exist. It comes the will and the mind and things like that too. But uh, I, again, I, I agree with you. I, I haven't read this portion of it in a while. Uh, and even as you're reading it, like I love the lines, like his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Yep. Uh, I will still have hope. Like, uh, But that, like he doesn't afflict from his heart, I think is so, so key. Uh, because oftentimes I, I, I hear the, the struggles of like God's justice and God's wrath and how could, how could a good loving God do such a thing to people, especially his people. And, um, and the reality is he's just, we don't fully understand just and the justiceness of God. Uh, we don't understand that. And, and so it's, it's understanding he is higher, he is, his ways, his, his, his methods, his understanding is greater than ours. Um, and I just love that. I agree. I, I love that line. Like he doesn't afflict from his heart um, and he doesn't do this for spite. He's not like, fine, you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back. Like right. that's human. That's how we react and respond. You offend me. I'm going to trigger you and offend you. I'm going to throw shade at you. And um, But he does it because of the justness of who he is. Um, and and the reality of rejection and rebellion like that that's a byproduct of sin and so I think it's it's important to remember that aspect of it so well I think we've used this analogy so many times talking about the fall of Jerusalem but yeah it's, it's the idea of like disciplining a child and like mm-hmm. you know it's the difference between a parent um, when your child really makes you angry and you're like okay you're getting a spanking it's a difference between saying like okay like you're getting a spanking as a punishment this is what you need to learn from it and versus like just flying off the handle and getting angry and then just hitting your kid. Yeah. Like those are two yeah. very, both are physically hurting the child, but one of them is, uh, they're very different, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to get at. Well, one of them adds the emotional damage too, right. right? But it is, it's actually, it's it's reactionary and it's selfish. And I mean, that's half the times, like I feel like as a parent, I'm like, oh, I just missed it because I reacted selfishly. I'm right. inconvenienced or I'm annoyed or- When you're like kicking your kids. And I stuff. don't ever kick my kids. <laughs> and to be clear, I think I've spanked each of my kids once, Esther yet, because she's too- um, and, and she has yet to, to get there, to get me to that point where I have to, I have to discipline her because she's been so rebellious. Hey, so, good for her. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's reacting emotionally and, and I don't, not physically, but for me emotionally, but there is that difference. It, when you react out of discipline and understanding out of discipline, that's the love, like spare the rod, spoil the child, which is such an overused. And I would even say over extremely used statement. Um, to justify punishment, but it is, it's this idea of discipline and discipline is necessary for resiliency, for growth and maturity. And so, but yeah, right, there is the very stark difference between the two. Well, and I'm, yeah, it, it's, it's funny because I, I just keep, I, I almost wonder if we just are just belaboring this analogy, but probably, uh, probably a little bit, but I, I remember I'm not a parent, but one day you will be one day, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but I remember listening to someone talk about how like, you know, like one of the important things with parenting is this whole idea of, you know, don't be the, don't be the parent who, for lack of a better way of saying it, lies about punishment. So in other words, if you say, if you do this, this will happen, then the second thing needs to happen. Otherwise your, your words just mean nothing. If if the, if the kid knows like, Hey, like it doesn't really matter what mom and dad say, I can get out of it. Um, And so part of me thinks that that is part of what's happening with God here is that eventually at a certain point, if Israel keeps rebelling and keeps breaking covenant and keeps worshiping other idols, if God doesn't allow this to happen, then and I don't want to say God's words mean nothing because obviously that's not true. But you know what I mean? He's holding to his covenant. And because God is truth and because God is justice, he's bound to do this. Yeah. And so I think that's a whole big part of it is as well, is it's demonstrating the fact that God is not – God is merciful. 
and he's slow to anger, and he's constantly offering grace and ways to get out of it. But eventually, there is that breaking point yeah. where it's like, okay, then this this just needs to happen um, for God's glory and God's honor. Yeah, as well. well. And I think you've got to remember too. And 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 I'll be honest with you, I don't know if if the whole parenting analogy is one that uh, that you can ever really belabor because you learn so much about God's character and God's love for children, for His children, for you and I. As a parent, you tap into a new understanding of what it means. And I do agree with you. I think there is something to be said about if you do this, this will then happen. Um, but it's it's one of those things that you – It's as a parent of three kids now, like that's really easy to say in theory. It's really hard to execute in reality. And not because we don't want to punish our kids, but because there sometimes is genuine remorse. There's response. So I think there's levels and degrees of punishment. And I think you see that with God where – there, the, it judges is a great example. You and I look at it from a a uh, almost a glimpse of God's eternal viewpoint, right? Where we see the end, the beginning and the end, and we see like this is just an ongoing cycle. God just wipe him from the earth. Like why why endure that? But mm-hmm. in those times, God's people were actually repentant and responsive to God's grace and mercy. And as a parent, you relent because you see remorse, because you see the, the right actions, because you see response. Uh, and so it is, it's interesting, but you're right. There is a point where it has to come to a head because at the end of the day, it's like, this is, your heart's not genuine in this. You're, you're coming back to me. And so you see God's wrath poured out in certain aspects, but mm. it's such a, it's such a hard thing to fully comprehend is God as the, as, as a heavenly father, um, because it, it's, it's a great analogy to understand his parents today, but it, it creates a little bit of disconnect because he's a much better parent than the best version of a parent out there. Right. And the Babylonian bee. About Babylon B, uh, about Bluey, the dad bandit from Bluey. Uh, I don't know what the name of that means. <laughs> if you, Bluey's a, a Disney Disney show. It's hilarious and awesome. Sure. I actually have it on my water bottle. I have dad because it's a show that uh-huh. my gotcha. that Cassie loves. But it literally is like the one of the best shows right now. But anyway, like Babylon B came out with a dad. Uh, dad is sad about the fact that he will he'll never measure up to to bandit from Louie. like um so it was super funny but anyways when you say blue i was thinking of um Bowie, who is the kraken's new seattle kraken hockey team is oh, their new no. mascot bluey the cartoon it's just like a it's hilarious you'll like it one day one day all right the fourth lament focuses on the past <laughs> glory of jerusalem and how sad it is to see it in its current state um and then it also talks about the brutality of siege warfare so we kind of talked about that a little bit about yeah. how the fall of jerusalem was a prolonged thing and so here's a few verses from that it says those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps um, as a reminder purple was the most expensive color to get um, as far as dyes go. Yes. So only royalty and only the very wealthy wore purple back in the day. Um, continuing on in verse six, for the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. Their beauty, the beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones and has become dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits in the field. So there's a couple, yeah, the, the siege things. I, I thought it, it's so interesting to me to say that 
um, the, the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater Dude. than the punishment of Sodom. <laughs> yeah, right. And what, what's he getting at? He's getting at the point that like when Sodom was destroyed, it was just fire. It was fire and brimstone. It comes down. It completely destroyed the city, whereas the people of Jerusalem suffered for years over like starving to yeah. death. And he's talking, he's painting this picture of um, these people were purple, now are just covered in, in ash. These people who... Um, there is, yeah, their bodies were more ruddy than coral, and the beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their skin is shriveled on their bones, and it's become dry as wood. Or in other words, they're just dehydrated. Um, they haven't even been able to find water. They haven't been able to find food, and they just look like like husks of themselves. It's, in, it's an incredibly sad picture yeah. of, of what's happened. Um, and the fifth and final lament completely changes the poetic structure of the other ones. So <laughs> I don't know. The first four, they're acrostic poems. Um, the fifth has 22 verses to line up with the Hebrew alphabet. So, I mean, that's kind of fun. That's I think, cool. I think it's interesting, though, to say, like, it's important to remember Lamentations was not, was not written in one sitting. Right. It was for the duration of exile or the siege. It was for the duration of that. And so I, I could understand and see, like, there's so much changes and nuance because I think it was something that was written over time. Um, and if it is Jeremiah, which I would, I would, I would align with that. I think Jeremiah did write it, and he's seeing the siege and the destruction of um, God's people and God's city. I think you have different moments too. Like if he, I mean, if he's starving with with them as well, yeah. Like his poetic structure is going to change because he might not be all there mentally. So, yeah. Anyways, it's, 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 there's just a whole lot here. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it is sad. It, it's it's funny because I think about how I wish the book ended on chapter three. As opposed to chapter five, because chapter five is exceptionally hopeless. Yeah. Um, whereas chapter, like it's a chapter three is kind of this high point. Um, it does make, this is completely like open-handed conjecture, who knows, but it does make me kind of sad. Like what if chapter three was written like middle of the siege when like there's mm. maybe still a little bit of hope and then, which Jeremiah shouldn't have had hope because God was very clear <laughs> that like yeah. this isn't going to go well. Um, but then chapter five is, well, here, I'll just read a little bit of it. Um, it says, this is the last words of Lamentations. Uh, for this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's hard. That's like such a heavy. Yeah. Oh, man. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us unless you are exceedingly angry with us. It's it's this really... Yeah, it, 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 it reminds me of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. I think is part of it there. And obviously there, Christ didn't do anything wrong. Christ is doing actually exactly what the will of God is. Um, but just that that pain of separation being so acutely felt. And then just this idea of like crying out to be restored. Um, and I, 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 I've said this a few times, but I think we you cannot overstate how traumatic the fall of Jerusalem would have been to yeah. the, to the Jews of this time. It's insane. And, and it, it the clo like, and I think I've said this before, but the closest we can come is what the fall of Rome would have felt like to Roman citizens at the time. But even then I think Jerusalem is a bigger deal to the Jews of that time than Rome was to, to the Romans at that time. It's, it's, 
their whole religious structure, their whole covenant was built upon this thing, and now it's altered forever. And and Israel will never be the same. Like yeah. Israel from from this point forward, other than that that Maccabean dead cat bounce in the middle, Israel does not rule rule over itself until the the nineteen forties. <laughs> like it's so long that this happens. Um, and obviously by that point, you know, you, you've two thousand years later, it's like it's not, obviously not even the same nation. Um, it's it's just one of those things where um this this moment changed Israel's history forever. This moment changed the covenant forever and and they lived through it. They walked through that and Lamentations gives us a a picture, a really sad picture, but mm-hmm. a picture nonetheless of of what that would have felt like to 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 see firsthand. Yeah. So well, on that note, <laughs> um, we're going to go ahead and jump into Psalms. But before we do, uh, we do want to say, hey, you know, if you want to take a second to leave us a five-star review, that would be awesome. Fun fact, Spotify, we reached 100. So Let's way to, go. Way to go. Apple Podcasts, we are sitting at 89. So you have until, um, you know, you have until the end of the year to get up to 100. Otherwise, we will cast you aside with much <laughs> oh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you will wonder, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Why did you forsake us for so many days? Oh, you're so Let's ridiculous. Re- I'm just kidding. Obviously, we won't do that. But, you know, hey, 100, If no, there's really no reason. It's just kind of a nice number to get to. So if you want to if you want uh, to get I think there, it's a milestone number, right? I mean, yeah. I, th- I mean, 100,000 downloads in, in the month of October, I think, for them, we, we reached finally 100,000 downloads in this month. I think 100, 100 is just, there's just something about a milestone of 100 ratings. And so... Um, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not going to talk about it any more than that. But it, it's just rad, and I just uh, thanks for continue to leave good ratings and help us continue to grow the community. I think that's a huge win. So um, I, I will say this real quick, going back to Lamentations, just for a moment, um, putting ourselves in the context of what's going on with Lamentations and and the the siege, uh, the the surrounding of, of of Israel, like all of those things are very heavy hearted. Um, to think about, like, I can't imagine God's people and how they would see it play out. Um, but I, I would say this on the other side of it, knowing what we know with the entirety of scripture, I say this very carefully, thank God it happened. Because if it would have just stayed with God's people, if God's people would have just stayed in there, I think the plan of salvation still would have played out. But God was able to then continue his purpose and his mission in reaching the world. Uh, and reaching Gentiles, which is the boat I sit in. I'm not. I'm not Jewish uh, of descent. I'm. I would be considered a Gentile in Scripture. And so I think that there's something to be say. God, you are so good and so faithful. As much as that is a heavy, difficult thing, I'm thankful for your plan, and I'm thankful that your will still prevails. Um, and and I think we're we're beneficiaries of that truth. Is that God's will prevails no matter what. So it's heavy. It's hard. I can't imagine being God and seeing these people reject Him. But I'm thankful for the other side where we get to see salvation unfold for all people as God originally intended. So um, Psalms, yes, we, we bring them back in case you thought that we weren't li- reading them anymore because we read them all. Uh, because it's so kind of sporadic, we don't know when we're going to end reading them, but I guarantee it'll be by the end of the year we'll finish all the books, all the Psalms. Um, we have six of them this week that we are reading. Uh, and if you're a first-time listener to the podcast and you have yet to hear us work through uh, some of the Psalms that we read every week, or not every week, but as we read weekly, 
Uh, the way that we kind of take on the Psalms is just to kind of give us a very quick overview of each Psalm. Uh, and then I, I if, if I'm doing it, I'll take a Psalm and kind of highlight. I know Evan has done the same thing. Uh, and so I'm going to highlight some uh, a simple excerpt from Psalm 49. Uh, but before I get there, we're going to read Psalm 38 and 39 first. Uh, and so Psalm 38 is a lament uh, where the one lamenting lays one's troubles before God. Uh, we'll see that when the person realizes that these troubles result from their own sin, this is how he, this is the lament context. Um, the psalm will describe anguish of body and mind, desertion by friends, and how the singer's folly has made him vulnerable to the enemies to his enemies who are ready to pounce. Uh, the psalm also acknowledges that the singer's the singer's sins lie behind the troubles. It is often called penitential, uh, which in essence it's a remorseful psalm. Uh, there's a handful of psalms that are fall under this penitential category. Psalm 51 is probably one of the most famous ones, which is David's lament of recognition that he this uh, after uh, um, Samuel called him out. Right? It was Samuel wasn't Na- it? Nathan. Nathan. It was in the book of Samuel. Um, but Nathan calls him out for a sin and sleeping with Bathsheba, killing Bathsheba's husband to cover up the sin. Uh, he gets called out and he responds with a penitential psalm. And so um, this is another one of the psalms. Uh, the one thing that is, I think is important to remember is that not all of one's problems are a result of one's sin. Um, but that's the context of this psalm specifically is the lamenter lays one's troubles before God and then realizes that these problems are a result of his own sin and his response thereof. Uh, Psalm 39, this psalm allows those who are suffering uh, to express their bewilderment to God. Uh, The circumstances of the suffering are left vague. Uh, Although there is an acknowledgement of sin, the focus is on how suffering is a reminder of how fleeting a human life is. Um, I think it's really important, and I'm going to kind of hit the same thought for Psalm 49 as well. Um, But there is something, I even read this in a book recently, it might even been this morning, Um, but the, the, the filter of, and we've talked about this on the podcast, how uh, it, we don't live in light of eternity enough. And we live in light of the moment and present circumstance or immediate circumstances. Um, and oftentimes we forget uh, etern- eternity. And so uh, this psalm, you're going to see there's suffering and bewilderment, that there's even acknowledgement of sin. Um, but suffering, and I love that this, this part of it, like the focus is on how suffering is a reminder of how fleeting like human life is. Um, we are, I mean, James says we're but a mist, uh, we're but a vapor. And so, uh, that's the Psalm. You'll see this compare or this, this contrast between momentary suffering, but is meant to draw an eternal perspective. Um, Psalm 49 is also, is referred to as a wisdom Psalm, uh, and, and this is the one I want to read because I think this is a, a legit conversation for a lot of us often. It says it addresses the perplexity that the pious or the righteous, the religious, often feel when they encounter trouble, while the unfaithful people seem to get along so well. In other words, why is God punishing me, but not those who don't follow him or who are, who are evil and living in sin? Why does God bless the sinner um, and then punish the one who's trying to be righteous? And, and so you see, you'll see this, this play out in the Psalm. And I, and I appreciate the question because I think it's something we always wrestle with. Why me, God, why me? Uh, and the question that's asked is like, is not God expected to show his favor to the pious and how he treats them, which is such a deep question that I think all of us ask in one way, shape or form, maybe not in those exact words, but is God, are you not, you're, I'm expecting you to show favor to me because I'm righteous, because I'm following you, because I'm obedient to you. Um, so you should show me favor and protection and blessing. Uh, and 
God answers that uh, and just simply saying he'll distinguish between the faithful and the unfaithful and what happens to them when they die. <laughs> that, that's the context of Psalm 49. Um, and so I want to read uh, just the ending. This is the ending of Psalm 49. And uh, it, it sets that – maybe my phone won't open. I didn't put the scripture in my – Uh-oh. There we go. The, the mic was covering it. Sorry. Uh, but this is the ending of Psalm 49. Uh, and it just kind of frames that question strategically. Uh, and it says this, and starting in verse 18. Um, and and I, love, I love psalms that have selah in them, which are meant, again, just a whatever teaching moment that I always say, but like the idea of like pause and reflect on what was just read. This is the last stanza uh, of many verses. And it says this, Do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are acclaimed when you do well for yourself, he will go to the generation of his ancestors. They will never see the light. Mankind with his assets, but not with, but without understanding, is like the animals that perish. I just love that comparison um, because the reality is, is, is the tension existing for you and I as followers of Christ. We've got, again, and it reiterates, we've got to live with the eternal in mind. It's not a matter of what can I accumulate now, but God, what are you calling me to do with, with what I've been given? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a word called stewardship. That's not just about resources and money, but it's about the life we've been given. We're, we're managers of everything God has given us. The very breath we have is a gift from God. And so it's understanding this tension. And I love the Psalm because it addresses this perplexity that I, I will feel sometimes as someone who I, I believe to be righteous because of Christ and because of my faith in Jesus, I'm righteous. And there's times where I'm like, God, why, why is this happening again? Like, I just, I saw this happen and this, and I mean, selfishly, the, the easiest example in all the world is when uh, we, we had, well, I came into some bonus money, some money that was extra. It wasn't planned on our income. And I'm like, sweet, we can like go do something with that as a family, create some memories. And then my wife lost her van key, which we only had one to, in order to get new ones cut. They had to replace our ignition, which cost $1,500. And then my car had to get fixed and repaired and my wheel bearing was having issues. And so it cost another 15. I'm like, all of the money that we just came into is gone. <laughs> it's, it's not even, I can't even use it. I had to spend it on bills. And on one end, I can get a little bit grumpy about that. Or I can on the other hand, like, God, you provided for those things, even though I didn't see them coming. And at the end of the day, like, yes, I want to be selfish and do things and create memories. But at the end of the day, I, I also want to live righteously in alignment with God's will and plan. And I have to remember to think eternal in some things. But it's so hard because I also I also want to live selfishly. So um, I just love the, the tension that exists in, in, in this psalm that simply answers like, they'll get what's coming to them. You live faithfully to me. And how many times do I tell this to my kids? There's the parenting analogy again, bro. Um, mm-hmm. My oldest daughter will sometimes, or my young, my son will sometimes get frustrated. Well, they're not doing that, or he's not, or she's. Not. And I just don't worry about yourself. Do what you're supposed to do, and don't worry about your sister or your brother. Do what you're supposed to do. And sometimes I think God's like, just worry about what you're supposed to do, Aaron. Don't don't think ahead. Don't don't compare yourselves to other people. Do what I'm calling you to do, and be faithful to that. Yeah, I think. Well, it reminds me of almost like the in the Gospels where it's like, yeah, God will sort out the planks and the specks and, and all of that yep. stuff. So just just focus on yourself, and then God God is just, and we have to yeah. trust in that. Yeah, and He's merciful. 
Yeah. So I, I just think it's, it, it's a fun little psalm, I think, uh, that will challenge each of us in the midst of that. So uh, Psalm 50, uh, we're halfway through the psalm, Psalm 50. I love this because I, uh, I, I, I love it when I make up words and I get made fun of for it. Not really made fun of for it, but I literally get asked in the lobbies like, really? Um, although Messiahship, I was affirmed in Messiahship. By Boom. The there so you go. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, but this one is can be easily, I guess, best. And I have this in quotes because this came from uh, one of the, the study Bibles I think I was using, but it, it can be referred to, and this isn't often, but like an or, or, oracular hymn, like oracle, like something that's right. spoken, um, where the, in essence, the worshipers are singing God's pronouncement about how they should live as part of his covenantal people. Um, so it's something they're pronouncing that God, they're, they're verbally speaking God's word. Um, and in the, we see in this that the God who speaks and summons uh, the earth, especially as plans to judge his own people, which is really fun, uh, particularly to warn them, uh, to warn any of them who presume on the privileges of the sacrificial system. In other words, um, God's people will struggle with, and I struggle with this, that I can buy God off. I can earn your favor, that I can do what I want. But as long, I mean, this is, I'll live like, I'll live like a hellion throughout the week, but I'll go once a week to church and ask for forgiveness. And go and live like a hellion for the next week, but then go to church and ask for forgiveness. It's this tension of, I think I can buy off God by repenting and by, and that was a sacrificial system, right? It was, I bring us an animal, the priest sacrifices, I partake in the sacrifice, priest burns the offerings, I'm now standing righteous before God. If I continue to do that, God, you're going to be satisfied. He's not. God doesn't, God isn't satisfied by sacrificing an animal or going to church and repenting or giving more to the church, God is honored and glorified by our daily submission and obedience to him by living in alignment as best we can. Uh, and so you see in Psalm 50, it's, it's this like oracular hymn, if that's or, oracular, or however you say it. I like say oracular. It. Um, but it is the worshiper singing God's pronouncement on his people um, as somewhat of a warning because it's almost like they uh, are living in a way that, oh, God, I'm gonna, you, you'll be okay. I'll satisfy your desire. And so I think that's part of what the, the hymn is about. Uh, so you'll see that in, in Psalm 50. Two more Psalms this week. Psalm 83 is a community lament. Um, you'll find a heated, uh, it's heated, attached to a situation in which God's people are threatened by Gentile enemies who aim to destroy them. Uh, the Psalm prays that God will make such enemies fail miserably uh, and being put to shame and putting them to shame and perishing so that they might come to know the Lord. Um, so it's a, a lament that everyone's going to sing together community-wise. The final psalm this week is an individual lament. In 80, Psalm 86, I think I said that, uh, it's geared to a situation in which a band of insolent men, quote-unquote, seek my life. The psalm confesses that the Lord is good and forgiving, acknowledging that the singer's own sins may have contributed to the, his enemy's plans. Um, it It is attached also to Exodus 34, 6, which is a, is a confessional, pretty fundamental confessional statement in the Old Testament. So, uh, But that's Psalm 86. You'll see that connection to Exodus as well. All right. Well, with that, listeners, we are going to talk about the Song of Solomon, which is the final book in the wisdom literature. Uh, just as a as an, a, or a, a reminder, we said this at the top of it as well, uh, but Song of Solomon discusses love and then in particular, uh, the sexual aspects of love as well. So we're not going to be crass or anything, but we are just going to like, we're going to talk about it. So uh, if you're listening with your kids and you don't want those things to be talked about, then, you know, don't... Uh, Turn it off or, yeah. <laughs> or come back, come or back later. Or push pause here and listen to something different. All right. So the opening line of the book says that this is the greatest song of Solomon. So traditionally that is understood to mean that Solomon is the author and that this is his greatest work. Uh, we're told in the book of Kings that Solomon was the author of over a thousand songs. And so by just kind of 
it, it, it checks out basically that Sol this would have been Solomon's greatest song that he ever wrote. Um, it's unique among the wisdom literature in that it deals almost exclusively with romantic love and the joy that can be filled found within. So if Job is kind of about the wisdom in seeing the world through God's perspective, wisdom to be found in suffering. Psalm is about kind of just the wisdom in worship and the wisdom in relationship with God. Proverbs is kind of just a shotgun of wisdom where it's like all different aspects of, of life. Ecclesiastes is wisdom in the meaning of life, wisdom in the midst of meaninglessness. And then Song of Solomon is really about the wisdom of love and the way that God provides that. It's similar to Ecclesiastes and that it's notoriously difficult to outline. And it's also notoriously difficult to interpret. There's a we're we're going with specifically the Hinson and Yates in the um the essence of the Old Testament, a survey, um, the way that they interpret it and the way they outline it. But there's a few different ways that you could. Um, and even like I think people kind of shied away for a long time that, well, this book of the Bible can't be talking about sex. That's really inappropriate. And so it's <laughs> talking about Christ in the church, which is a way to interpret it. I don't think it's the correct way, um, but there is like, you know, that that is a thing that's out there as well. Yeah. So the way that Hinton and Yates outline That's interesting. Yeah. The way that Hinton and Yates outline it is uh, the first chapter through verse five of the third chapter is romantic courtship. And then chapter three, verse six through chapter five, verse one is the marital intimacy. Chapter five, verse two through chapter eight, verse four is the affirmation of love. And then chapter eight, verse five through the end of chapter eight is the, is an epilogue that's there as well. Again, the, the reason you can see how hard it is to outline because none of those, none of those um, spots stop on a chapter. They all stop in the middle of chapters because again, there's a bunch of different ways that you could read this. Uh, so the first section introduces us to the young couple before their marriage. Uh, this is probably Solomon and and one of his wives, uh, which is also kind of, I don't know about you, but this is kind of like a thing that bums me out about reading the book is that we're reading about like one of Solomon's like 300 wives. Like, so, cause you know, like, it's like this, theoretically, it's like this great love story and it's beautiful poetry and all those different things. He kind of just think to himself like, ah, either this is his first wife and it goes really downhill, or this is just like the guy is doing this while he also has a bunch of wives at home. I don't know. I like to think if anything, it's his first wife, I guess, but still like there's... Do you think he's writing about a specific wife at all? I think so. Yeah. I think he's writing about... Um, I think I think it's 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 more broadly about love in general, but I think some of these are stories and then um, of, of things that seem to have clearly happened. So that's what I would guess is he's writing about a specific a specific wife and a specific. Marriage. I've never thought about it in the sense of um, him writing about a specific wife of his. I've 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 only ever read it and seen it in light of uh, Solomon writing from his experience. Mm -hmm. um, and he draws from different experiences or whatever. So I don't know. At the end of the day, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that's why I'm not overly concerned. But it's it's an interesting take for sure. I've never thought about that in yeah. depth. So. Well, just in, just in case what tone you're wondering they would take, they come in hot. So this is the <laughs> first lines of poetry are from – oh, and I should say the whole book is also unique in that it's laid out with um, – speakers. So there's she, him, and others are kind of the three categories, at least in the ESV. I'm not sure what the other translations use, but it's basically the bride, the groom, and then there's kind of a chorus that goes in there in the middle as well. 
So she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant and your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And then later he says, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and the pasture of the young goats besides the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely. Lovely with ornaments in your neck, with a string with strings of jewels. So I also we'll talk about this here in a little bit because there's one there's a section I'm just going to read fully. But the the uh, the compliments are funny <laughs> because obviously like they're you know they're ancient. They're not going to get you anywhere today. Let's yeah, just be honest. Yeah, they're they're ancient Jewish compliments in that culture in that time, which you know back then that was real steamy stuff. But to us today, <laughs> we're just like what? If I, if I told my wife that you man, you're like the finest horse of the king of Egypt, she'd be like, thanks. I guess that's, I appreciate it. It's almost like saying she's a brick house. <laughs> she's a brick. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, so anyways, all, all throughout this section, the couple just relishes in the love that they feel for each other. Um, they use all sorts of metaphors to express how much they value each other. Um, in 216, I, I love this phrase. The In uh, 216, the woman pointedly describes the relationship with her future husband with the phrase, my beloved is mine and I am his, which if you, if that sounds familiar to you, that's because that is often echoed how God talks about his people, yeah. where uh, the promise he makes is that you shall, be my, you shall be my people, I shall be your God. Revelation 21, which I've made no qualms about, is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. One of the hopeful high points of that chapter is that he will dwell with man forever and they will be his people and he will be their God. Um, and so we see... And I think this is the very this is a very Christian truth when it comes to marriage. We see a lesser shadow of our relationship with God played out in marriage, just like we see a lesser shadow of our relationship with God played out with with um, the relationship between parents and children. Mm-hmm. And children. Uh, it's it's not supposed to be full, as in like it's not like yeah, I fully understand how God feels now that I have a wife, but it's supposed to point us towards uh, that affection that God has for us. Uh, chapter three, verse six kicks off the description. This is the next section. Uh, the description of the couple finally getting married. Uh, this cha- this uh, that, this part's really cool. I just think it's interesting. Uh, it's a description of Solomon leading the wedding processional from the perspective of the bride. So the bride is talking about like, behold, my beloved is 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 coming, and she talks about how um, there's so many people that it looks like. It's, it looks like there's a fire because of how much dust they're kicking up from like marching up. And so all this dust is going in the air. It looks like there's a big raging fire that's coming towards them. Uh, the smell of myrrh and frankincense fills the air. Uh, Solomon and his warriors are riding towards the bride. Solomon steps out of his carriage and we get this whole idea of like this whole picture of how fa- basically fancy the carriage is and how incredible it is. And then it talks about like Solomon steps out and then everyone's heart just like leaps with joy. And then they can see in his, they can see in his heart, like how glad he is to be here in this moment. Really cool. Um, I, I love it a ton. And then once he steps out, he remarks on the physical beauty of his bride. And that's one thing I think is interesting about Song of Solomon is it, it again, it makes no qualms about um, the physical attraction that husband and husbands and wives are supposed to feel with each feel with each other, um, and obviously there's other things as well. Like we'll, we'll talk about like character and things like that, but it's also saying that, um, yeah, like the the fact that you're physically attracted to your spouse 
That's a gift from God. That yeah. is not a that is not a bad thing, and you, and we should relish in that as well. Uh, and so he says, "Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves." Behind. I, I sorry, I should also say this. I quote this to Ashley all the time just to make her mad because I think it's really funny. Um, but it says, "Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have been that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth." is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields and all of the shields of warriors. Yeah, warrior shields. Uh, Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies until the day... Uh, breathes and the shadows go free. I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no fly in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You're a jerk. Let me just say that on behalf of your wife. You are a jerk. I also did one where it's I did staff Valentine's Day cards that were all quotes of Solomon and just like handed them out. Oh man. But and here's the thing. It's funny to read, obviously, because like, yeah, like if if I told my wife, like, well, I have told my wife your neck is like the Tower of David. Um, but like obviously that's just like I don't I don't get it. That's not a compliment anymore. Um, but what what's he remarking on? He's remarking on all of the physical characteristics of his bride, and mm-hmm. he's talking about how how beautiful, how enraptured he is in the beauty that he that he sees in her. Uh, finally, at the end of chapter four, uh, and then the first verse of chapter five, we're told poetically that they consummate their marriage. Um, so the language there is basically she invites him to come explore her garden, and he's talking about how excited he is to go explore their garden. And then it just it literally just says they they become drunk with love. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't say exactly that, but that's what the, the and that's that's how, that's how it ends. That's the marriage. So it's kind of this big build up of seeing the groom mm-hmm. arrive with all of this all of this pomp and circumstance and then they just talk about how in love they are and then they and then they get married and they they consummate their marriage. So cool thing there. The next section I think is the most interesting one that we find in Song of Song. A because it's it's so freaking hard <laughs> to interpret like what exactly is happening. There's so many different ways and uh but B it's it's just it's an interesting thing to include because it talks about marital conflict. And so it's talking specifically about like, we don't know how long they've been married. Um, and it's not like the most like serious fight or whatever, but it, it's interesting to me that the Song of Solomon is not just dealing with like courtship, which I think is kind of the most obvious. Um, it's the most obvious time when like you're trying to, you know, when like fr- from the man's perspective, obviously is the only way I can speak of it, but you know, you're trying to woo someone. And so you're kind of like, you're all, you're always like in date mode and all these different things. And I think as you kind of get married and life goes on, like it's the love is obviously still there, but it changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like the, the way you're acting changes a little bit. Um, and even after the wedding, right? Like it's, you know, that moment is now done. And now you're kind of building a life together. And so that you're, you know, the way that you look at everything changes once again. I, I love that Song of Solomon kind of addresses the changes that can happen there, but then it also talks about again, it's a celebration of um beauty, it's a celebration mm-hmm. of attraction, it's a celebration of love, it's a celebration of sex, it's all these different things that still happens um even in the in after uh conflict. So really cool. Uh so in this yeah, I either this next section is a nightmare 
that the bride has, which I think I think is where I stand. It's a really hard one. Or she's awoken from a dream and then this all really happens in real life. Or it's kind of a mix of the two. Like this all happened and she's having a nightmare about it and then she goes out and tries to fix it, which actually now that I think about it, that might be more where I land in general. But here's the deal. You can't go back on that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, you, you're a flip. We're, we're right before election day. So like you're a flip flopper. What if we can't trust you? <laughs> if we can't trust you in this. Um, but anyway, so the scene opens up with she is awoken by her husband arriving late. He asks her to open the door and she delays. So this this can either be kind of like a playful thing, like she's just like not letting him in to be to try and be funny. Um, this can be like she's literally just like just woken up from sleep. And so when he's asking to be let in, she's just kind of groggy and not knowing. Or this could be that she's mad at him and she doesn't want to let him in because they, they fought earlier. So again, there's a few different ways to interpret this. Um, but she delays. And then when she finally opens the door, he's gone. So she feels like she can hear him on the latch and then she goes up to kind of like welcome him back in. And then all of a sudden he's nowhere to be found. She opens the door and it's empty. So again, either this is a nightmare that she's having or this, this is actually happening. Uh, she runs out to find him. She cannot locate him anywhere. And the watchmen of the city find her and beat her. Um, this is the part where this is where it all kind of hinges. Cause like if, if this is a dream, this very much makes sense as like a nightmare, right? Like you imagine that you're going around and what's the worst that can happen? It's being found and being beaten. Um, if this is something that really happened, I would not want to be those watchmen <laughs> the next, the next day. It's true. Very true. You're in a lot of, you're in a lot of trouble for beating up the queen. Um, when the bride finally realizes that her husband must have gone to the guard, uh, must have, must have gone to the garden. So at some point it clicks with her. Oh, this is where this is where he would go. They reunite and they spend the next couple of chapters expressing their love to each other. Um, the climax of this section is kind of this really powerful, and you you might recognize some of this is um, uh, it's in worship songs. And again, and I I don't know how I feel about Song of Solomon being used for worship songs because I don't think it's supposed to be, um, but it's, it's you know it's really powerful. So it is. Um, but it's this description of love and she is speaking and she says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm for love is as strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. It's flashes are flashes of fire. The very flames of the Lord, many waters cannot quench love and neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would utterly, he would be utterly despised. And so it's this, I, I love this picture of, a, it's the seal upon your heart, the seal upon your arm. And so it's, a, it's kind of this language of protection and also this language of um, of ownership and yeah. not in the like the – It's belonging. Yeah, belong, yeah mutually it's, belonging it's why, to each like other. It's like the ring that we put on fingers when we get married. Like it's that symbol of, of belonging and commitment. Right. And it, it, it harkens back to – I forgot which chapter it was. It's at the beginning of the notes. But when she says, my, my beloved is mine and I am his, it's mm -hmm. that mutual feeling of, yeah. of belonging to each other. And then finally, uh, in the final section of the book, we get a brief epilogue that we're just going to read the whole thing because it's kind of interesting. But it starts off with the chorus saying, we have a little sister and she has no breasts, What shall, which by the way is a euphemism for just she's young. Um, what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. And then the uh, uh, the bride says, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard, a vineyard, had a, a vineyard, vineyard, a vineyard. Uh, Solomon had a vineyard at ba Baal Harmon. 
he let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit of two hundred. And then the groom says, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening to your voice, let me hear it. And then she says, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a stag on the mountains of spices. And so that's how the book ends there. It's funny because it's grouped in the wisdom literature. And that's the only section that really kind of like is overtly about wisdom. I shouldn't even say overtly, but it's the one that can be like most translated out, not translated, but it's the one that can be most interpreted as being about wisdom. But essentially it's saying, um, protect your love. And particularly here it's talking about, right? Like sexual purity is talking about virginity, all those different things. Um, but when when it's 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 using this language of like being a wall, right? Like before before marriage, it's honoring, um, it's honoring our future spouse by by uh, staying sexually faithful, um, and then it's also about honoring ourselves and and realizing that this is a gift from God. the The idea of the love that we get to share with a spouse is something that's given to us from God, and so the wisdom of Song of Solomon here is essentially in how do we how do we treat that? And then you have this whole idea of it's. Um, Solomon had these vineyards and he values them and he protects them. And then she compares herself to basically that's my vineyard. My very own is before me. So really cool, really cool reminders there. One of the more, one of the more unique books. Yeah, absolutely. The, I wouldn't even say, well, yeah, it's, it's like this and revelation are the ones that kind of really stand on like their, their kind of their own thing. Yep. Um, but it's, I, I also love that. In, in scripture, in, in the Bible, we get this celebration of the gift that marriage is and the, and the gift that sex is within the confines of marriage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and how in, in, the, in the midst of all of that, it, it, it should point our hearts to God. It should point our hearts to the relationship that we have with God, the fact that we are able to enjoy our spouse and, and all of these different facets. And so I think it, it, is, it is a really beautiful reminder of that. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we are not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, under our media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.